1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, my 30-year anniversary getting saved just happened recently. Sorry. It's a little personal. <laughs> but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And Father, we, as always, humbly pause and ask for the grace and the help of your Holy Spirit for each and every one of us assembled here this day, that, Lord, we could continue now in our worship of you, having sung and prayed and fellowshiped by giving our fullest attention to what your Spirit would speak to us this day through this part of your word and what the Holy Spirit has already spoken in these pages in front of us. So Lord, prepare us, and as always, give us an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church through the word of God today. And we ask this expectantly together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You know, if God were to have gotten a degree in advertising or marketing, I certainly think that he would have been, no doubt, at the top of his class. God's marketing plan, if you would, for promoting the plan of God, God's advertising plan, very simply, is just changed lives. The simplicity of changed lives. God transforms people so those lives can then testify of what the Lord is able to do in the lives of any other person and what God wants to do in many other people. And Paul here we see is speaking of this as he gives personal testimony of his transformed life in these verses in front of us. He's really expressing that he's grateful to be saved and even more than that, astonished that he's actually allowed to serve and how others can now see the heart of the Lord through what God had done in his own life as sort of a pattern to let other people encourage that he could do it in their lives as well. You remember the backdrop from last time, Paul was just recently expressing how through the law of God, he exposes to each and every one of us as human beings that we are guilty sinners before a holy God. And the law of God, particularly the Old Testament, Mosaic law, is God's holy standard, in essence, to be used like a mirror to reveal to us our true condition. It can't change our condition in any way, just like you could look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. It tells you what is true about how you appear, but if you rub your face against the mirror, it doesn't fix your hair. It doesn't change the problem. A thermometer, you put it into your mouth, it reveals to you, perhaps if you have a temperature, but chewing up and swallowing the thermometer doesn't take away your fever. It reveals your condition, but it can't resolve your condition. And Paul was speaking of how the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, if used correctly and properly, it reveals to us simply that we're lawbreakers. It shows us God's standard and reveals to us clearly that none of us can keep it, that we all are lawbreakers, we're rebellious, we're ungodly, and we're all sinful in our own different ways as we live out our lives. And he gave quite an extensive list, going from everything from just being 
a rebellious, arrogant person to being a liar to being a kidnapper or someone who's murdering their own relatives. And despite the span or where we fall on the spectrum, the bottom line is you only have to break one law one time to be a lawbreaker. And we've all done that. We're all guilty sinners. But he said, thanks be to God that the blessed God has given to us this glorious gospel, of course, the good news of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. That as a result of what God has done, that though we are all guilty, sinful lawbreakers, that we can have our sins forgiven, we can have the guilt removed from our lives, we can have the assurance that we're not going to be punished eternally and suffer in hell forever, but that we can have access freely into heaven through accepting Jesus' gift, that we can be set free from a self-destructive life and experience the power of a changed life, to live different, to be a brand new person. And this has been Paul's personal firsthand experience. And I think perhaps in these next verses, that's why having undergone that powerful life change and having been entrusted to let his life be a reflection of that to other people, it's almost as if Paul can't resist describing what God did in his own life. And the powerful change the gospel had brought to him, the wonderful news that God spares us from our past. And what's even more amazing, he gives us then even this glorious future and a chance to be useful for him as well. Look with me back in verse 12 as Paul begins to discuss this. He says, verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy, he says, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul gives a bit of personal testimony here, and the first thing I want you to take note of is, is that Paul did not see serving the Lord in any way or serving people as an obligation, but he genuinely, you can hear his heart here, saw it as a true privilege, a privilege that he did not deserve. You know, nothing makes me sadder from time to time when I will on occasion hear Christians to some degree complain about having to serve the Lord in some capacity in some way that if it's this grudging obligation, if it's this heavy burden, or, oh, I have to do this, or, oh, I signed up for that, or, oh, I got to go back to doing that. And, and what a tragedy. And really, what a completely countercultural idea and mindset that we should truly have. As Paul opens this section in verse 12 here, the first words out of his mouth regarding his privilege to even serve as he says, Man, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm so thankful. In other words, Paul's expressing he was incredibly thankful that, that he was able to serve the Lord. You notice that Paul the apostle maintained a heart of gratitude personally, and he lived with a sense of appreciation, not only to be saved, but even beyond that, that he was given this great privilege to actually touch anything that belonged to the kingdom of God and its work. And, and what an important place to keep our heart as a spiritual attitude rooted in, to always remain really grateful toward the Lord, to have a deep appreciation. I'll tell you, that will truly, folks, help your perspective because it's so easy to roll out of bed in the morning and as soon as you put your feet on the floor, be angry about this or complaining about that or disappointed over this or frustrating about that, when the reality is when you keep a proper appreciation that you're saved, forgiven, going to heaven, it's amazing how everything else in life just kind of comes a little better into perspective if we're able just to maintain that. Notice with me some of the things Paul references in these verses here in light of this appreciation. The first thing you take notice of is that Paul never forgot the reality of what he once was and who he once was and what he used to do and really the darkness from where he came from. Paul kept a good reminder and never forgot, if you would, where he came from. Notice with me, if you were there in verse 13, where Paul kind of indicates this, he says, 
I was, look at his words, I was formerly. In other words, Paul says, in my past life, before I was saved, before Jesus intervened and rescued me, I know what I was formerly. I was formerly something that I'm not proud of, he says, when I was living in the darkness. He mentions three things, particularly in verse 13. He says, first of all, look at it. I was formerly, he says, a blasphemer. That is one who disrespected the Lord in my heart and in my attitudes. A blasphemer speaks of one who scoffs and slanders and brazenly mocks God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and somewhat tempts the Lord in sort of this brazen arrogance. It speaks of being guilty of irreverently speaking about God and irreverently speaking toward God, directly towards him in a blasphemous way. And when we read the book of Acts in the scripture, at one time in Paul's past, when he was Saul of Tarsus, we know that he wasn't just doing that periodically. Oops, I was a little bit blasphemous. Paul was a blasphemous man toward the Lord, not just casually, but rather he was doing it fiercely, ambitiously. He was doing it intentionally. When you look at his former life, his agenda was to discredit Jesus, was it not? And everything about Jesus. I mean, he was intentionally going about speaking in ways to deter people from believing in Jesus Christ to do anything he could aggressively to stop people from following the Lord. He wanted to ruin Jesus's reputation. He wanted to defile the reputation of the church and to wreck Christianity. Paul says, I was formerly a blasphemer. Secondly, he says in verse 13, notice, he says, I was also formerly a persecutor. And that word persecutor speaks of bringing mistreatment or harm to those who follow Jesus. That is, whether it's verbal abuse whether it's physical torture or whether it's circumstantial hardships. And again, in the book of Acts, when you look at Paul's life prior to Acts chapter 9, when he experiences his conversion to Christ, prior to his conversion, Paul was harassing Christians. He was harassing the church. The Bible tells us he was wreaking havoc on believers, breathing out, it says, threats and murders. In other words, if you were to, to illustrate, Paul was like a bloodthirsty predator. He was literally searching out all around, going all around, looking for Christians. He was hunting down Christians, like sort of a, you know, a, a, a terrorist in his own right, hating Christianity in his radical perspectives. He was going all over, looking for churches, looking for Christians to try and arrest and torture and even put them to death to make them blaspheme, to make them stop following Christ. I mean, again, this man was not apathetic to Jesus. That'd be one thing. He wasn't just apathetic to Jesus. When you look at his life, he was someone who was aggressively opposed to Jesus. He was doing everything he could to attack and destroy Christianity. Paul was a violent man trying to rob, kill, and destroy the church. He was hurting Christians. He was destroying lives and families and churches. You want to talk about being greatly offensive to the Lord? That's where, that's where he was at. You want to talk about someone who was arrogantly trying to do he could, all he could to ruin everything about Christ and Christianity? That was the degree of guilt where Paul was. And thirdly, he mentions in verse 13, he wasn't only formally a blasphemer or persecutor, but he says, I was simply an insolent Man, and our word insolent there speaks of being just rude and arrogant in a lack of respect. It describes someone who's just cold hearted and harsh and cruel. And Paul's saying, I, I was so utterly arrogant at one time in my life. I, I just, I was such a fool. I, I was so disrespectful towards everything that's right and moral. I just was such a, a hard-hearted, rebellious individual. I was so off track in my stubborn ignorance and, and the way that I lived, just ruining my own life. I was on such a path of darkness, Paul's saying. And, and I was doing it so passionately and harming people all around me. And I was just creating carnage in the lives of people that were connected to me because of the way that I was behaving and the point here is Paul had come to a solid grasp, if I could say it this way, of the true mess 
that his life genuinely was before he met Jesus. And Paul grasped that. He understood that. And I'll tell you, folks, to a healthy degree, that is good for all of us, that we never forget our past self, to recall who we once were and what we used to do and the darkness that we were living in, the dark place that we came from. Every person in this room, to some degree, can take Paul's words, I was formerly, and you can fill in your own blanks there. This is what I know what I formerly was. I was formerly, and to recognize where we once were, and all of us in this room have done our fair share of wrong things, and dark things, and deviant things in our past, things we are deeply guilty of, that we may hold tremendous regret for, that we have done, and that we're just ashamed over in our lives. And look, let me just say in connection to that, that's not something that we should wallow in self-pity over, or live in condemnation over. Because again, Jesus said to those caught in sin, I don't condemn you, just go and sin no more. I'm not saying we should reflect upon our past, oh, woe is me, and I'm such a wretch, and I was so horrible, and, and, and that should be a condemning thing. It's not condemnation. Knowing my past and remembering and recalling what I was formerly, the intention of God behind that is to keep you and I rooted, listen, in a spirit of humility. In a spirit of humility. That's why we remember what we formerly were. And let me just say this morning, if you've lost that humility, which typically you first had when you first got saved, and gradually as you've become a more mature, stronger Christian, this little spirit of self-righteousness has kind of creeped itself in, and you've lost that spirit of humility, can I encourage you, maybe you just need to do a little recollection of who and what you once were formerly. And maybe if as a Christian you've gotten your head a little bit too much in the stars, maybe ask God to reroute you back in the dust of the earth that you once were living in and the dirt that he took you out of as he washed you and cleansed you and gave you a new life. And Paul recalled that, and he realized, you can tell, it was God's merciful intervention that misguided life that he had and as rebellious as he was that it was God's merciful intervention look what he goes on to say in verse 13 he says though I was those things formerly but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief Paul says although I was formerly so unhealthy and sinful he says but I obtained mercy Mercy, God was merciful in my ignorance and my unbelief. Now, Paul's not making an excuse for his ignorance and unbelief here. That's not what he's doing. If, in essence, he's taking full responsibility for it, he's not proud of it. He's just identifying at one point, man, I was so, if I could use this term, Paul's just saying, I was so stupid. I thought I was so smart at one time in my life. And Paul can say now, man, I was, I was dumb. I was so stupid the way that I once, I was so ignorant and blind and I was so unwilling to believe what the Holy Spirit was trying to tell me was true and I just kept trying to ignore it and reject it and avoid Christians because I didn't want to give in to believing what they were believing. And Paul's saying, I know that's where I was and really he's just expressing thankfulness that in his ignorance and unbelief that somehow that condition stimulated God's mercy towards him. He says it was in that bad condition, God mercifully intervened and offered me patient help when I was at my worst condition of all. The word mercy that Paul uses there speaks of feeling pity or sympathy because of the miserable condition of another. And he says, that's what happened. In my miserable condition, that prompted God to intervene to help to alleviate my problem. That's what mercy speaks of. Someone who has sympathy for the misery or the struggle of another, and they're prompted to alleviate, to refrain from any further struggle in their life, and to try and do something to lighten the load. It means even if someone's failing or they failed, in a compassionate way, mercy says, yes, they failed, but I don't want to be hard on them right now. They've just failed. Or they're failing horribly 
I don't want to be hard on them. They need some serious help. They're in a miserable spot in their life. And Paul's saying, this is how God looked towards me, that God was abundant in mercy. In the Old Testament, all throughout, many times uses that statement to describe God, that he's abundant in mercy. That, that his mercy towards us is so great. His default response towards misguided, rebellious people those living in ignorance and complete unbelief or hard-heartedness is God delights to show and offer us mercy. Psalm 86 verse 15 says this, You, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Paul understood that though he was not in a good place, and he was guilty of many, many things, that because God was merciful, that God extended mercy to him. And he says, I was able to obtain mercy when I was at my worst. And look, can we not agree this morning that to a degree is the story of every Christian in this room. It's the story of every Christian on this planet that we obtained mercy from God and it was God's merciful intervention. Typically when we were at our worst, when we had made the biggest mess, we were recognizing our failures and our shortcomings. And in that moment, thank goodness God's merciful. That God didn't drop the hammer on us and, and finish driving in the nail into the dirt and say, you know what? You're already self-destructing. Let me just drive the nail. Let me just put you out of your suffering. Let me put the nail on the coffin for you. Boom. But instead, God did the opposite. He extended mercy to us. When we were at that spot, he offered mercy and help, and he intervened in his mercy. And if it wasn't his amazing mercy, Paul recognized as well, notice in verse 14, how the kindness and favor of God was extended to him as well. That though he was so unworthy and undeserving, God wasn't just merciful. He said he actually started being kind. Look what he says, verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So he describes this abundant outpouring of the grace of the Lord. And when the Bible uses the term grace, it speaks of kindness or favor or blessing given as a free gift to an unworthy recipient. Someone who's done nothing to contribute, to earn, to achieve but is freely being given a kind gift as the result of the kindness and graciousness of someone else. So we might say mercy is withholding judgment or mercy is kind of holding back hardship. Grace is like giving somebody a really nice gift. So where mercy is holding back, making it worse, grace says, you know what? I actually decided to buy you a gift today. Yeah, you've been horrible, but... Here's $100. I mean, that's what, that's what grace is like. And what Paul is saying here is he's contemplating this. He's describing how our Lord is really, really, if I could say, super nice to us. He's super nice to us. He doesn't just refrain from judging or hammering us and show mercy and, and, and restraint to us. But Paul says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord, he says, was exceedingly abundant. It was exceedingly abundant. Notice it wasn't just abundant. That means a lot. He says it was exceedingly abundant. The idea is an excessive amount of grace. If I could illustrate, Paul's like describing being under the Niagara Falls of God's grace, grace upon grace, and just this outpouring of the grace of God, the kindness of God, him being nice to us. Paul properly realized he deserved absolutely nothing, and it was this abundant outpouring of grace from the Lord that was deposited into his life, though he had shipwrecked and was unworthy. And again, folks, can I say by way of application, it is so healthy for us to realize the testament of what Paul was saying there, that that is just as true for our lives how kind the Lord has been to us, how nice he has been to us, the blessings, the favor, the kindness. It's not like he just said, okay, I'll spare you from shipwreck. He doesn't just do that. He spares us from shipwreck, and then he gives us like a brand new yacht. And he says, why don't you sail that new life for a while? This one, really? Yeah, try that one for a while. 
And, and, and God in his grace does these wonderful things to bless and be so kind to us in this great outpouring. Paul, having come into a relationship with Jesus through the grace of God, he says, now that I'm in Christ Jesus, he says, verse 14, there's this faith and love which have been found in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's describing as a result of coming into a relationship with Christ, his once ignorant, remember he said unbelief, He said, that's now been changed into marvelous faith in Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, it was the grace of God that opened my eyes. And now all of a sudden, I'm not blind anymore, and my heart was stirred, and he helped me to believe by his grace. And Paul recognized this reality that even his ability to believe, to exercise faith, was a gracious gift from the Lord. Paul says, I was so ignorant and so unbelieving, it had to be the grace of God that made me believe. There's no way I would have believed on my own. He helped me to believe in him and to receive all he was offering. And he says, if that weren't enough, this encounter with Christ has also taken me from being this insolent, brutal man that I once was in my spirit where I coldly treated people harshly and I abused people and I was so horrible to people around me. And he said, and he changed my heart to teach me about the love which is in, he says, verse 14, Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul learned how to love this Lord who he once hated. Paul learned how to start loving people who he once was so rude and harsh and unkind towards. And he says, my hard heart that was once filled with all this anger and hatred. He says, he changed my heart by his grace and softened it and caused me to be someone who would love and care about people. And I'll tell you, What a reminder, because it's true for us too, the power of the grace of the Lord when it is poured into our lives and the amazing transforming effect that enables us to become things as people and to do things as individuals that we could have never done in our own human weakness. How the reality is in this room this morning, consider who you were and who you now are because of the grace of the Lord that was poured into your life. Consider the reality this morning, how blind you once were in so many ways and how by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he opened your eyes and he allowed you to see and to believe and how in so many ways he's now helped you to grow in your faith. He's taught you to trust him. He's enabled you to live by faith and not by sight. And how as well, like Paul, how he's changed your heart, how at one time maybe your heart was hard and calloused and you were a cruel and an abusive person and you were hard-hearted and the grace of the Lord was poured into your life and all of a sudden you find your heart starting to heal and your heart becomes soft and tender and all of a sudden now you have this love within yourself and this desire and ability to care for people and serve people in ways that you never did naturally. And it's all because of the grace of the Lord being poured into our lives. And Paul says, man, if being spared from judgment and the punishment of hell and meeting Jesus and, and knowing now I'm going to heaven and, 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 and to have his grace and blessings poured into my life, Paul says, if that were not absolutely amazing and enough, way more than I deserved, Paul was also astonished that the Lord even allowed him the privilege to serve and to be involved in the purposes of his kingdom as well. Look what he says up in verse 12. We come back to it. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's also enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That is, he's allowed me to become involved in his work. Jesus caused Paul's once very destructive life towards everything that was Christian and connected to the church He transformed his life and caused it to become useful for the kingdom of God. That his life became useful to serve others and to be a good representative of Jesus. Paul recognized very clearly it was the Lord himself who had drafted him. And he really drafted him from enemy lines. I mean, it's not like he just drafted one out of his own name. Let's draft this guy. He's 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 a part of our nation. Let's just draft him and let him serve our purposes. It's almost like he went to the enemy. Because Paul was working for the enemy. And he says, man, that guy, I have to admit, he is a good soldier. I mean, whenever he does, he does aggressive. Let's just save him and use him for our purposes. 
And, and that's exactly really what Jesus did. I mean, Paul was an enemy lion. Paul says, look, I realize I was drafted, and he's the one that gave me the opportunity to be useful. He says, Jesus was the one who enabled me and put me into the ministry. Paul's acknowledging here very humbly, it was not that he was such a naturally gifted and skilled person that allowed him to serve. Paul recognized that. Paul says, this wasn't like that the Lord said, well, man, that guy's got a lot of talent. Shame to see that get wasted on the devil. Let's use that for the kingdom of God. Paul's saying the exact opposite. Rather, what does he say there? He says, verse 12, it was the Lord who enabled me. That is, as a part of his salvation experience, as the grace of God was poured out into his life, he was supernaturally empowered and strengthened to do something he could not do in his human capacity. And Paul humbly recognized that. He gave me an enablement and a capability to serve him as he intends. And I'll tell you something this morning, folks. This is very important for us because I want you to hear this. The Lord is always much more interested in your availability than he is your ability. He cares about your availability, not your ability. If we are willing as believers to just make the sacrifice of our own human selfishness and to die to ourself and our self-serving nature and simply to offer to the Lord ourselves to be useful for him, if we're willing to be open to step forward, to let our life be useful to Jesus, to serve the Lord and his purposes and gratefulness, I tell you, if we're willing to be used and to believe that if we step forward in faith, he can do it, the Lord is the one, Paul says, who enables us for whatever ministry or service or way that he wants to use our life. He's the one that enables us because that comes supernaturally. He equips us with capacities that we don't have naturally. He gives us enablements that we don't have automatically, ability and skill. And it's the Lord who supernaturally empowers us to minister and gives us the strength, the enablement, the empowerment spiritually. And Paul understood this reality that the Lord often displays his power best in human weakness. And Paul was the one who recognized this, you know, that though I am weak, then I'm strong. And he says, I find that when I'm in my weakest state, Paul would say, 2 Corinthians 12, when I'm in my weakest state, that's when the power of Christ rests upon me. He says, because that's when the Lord says, Paul, finally, you're weak enough. Now I can do what I want to do. <laughs> and God has this marvelous way of when we recognize our own weakness that we are used to the greatest degree spiritually. And this morning, let me encourage you, you don't have to be gifted to serve Jesus. Hello, advertisement for free. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be skilled. You don't have to be experienced. You don't have to be properly educated. And I'm not saying any of those things can't be redeemed. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, not many wise, not many nobles. It doesn't say not any. So you can be skilled and God can redeem and use your skills. You can be really smart and God can redeem and use your intellect. And in a world where lots of people are struggling because they think people are credible, thank goodness for a few smart, educated Christians who can proficiently debate and do apologetic communication. Praise the Lord for them. But the wonderful thing is, if you, oh, I lack this, I lack that, I lack, look throughout the word of God. God often used weak vessels to demonstrate his power through their lives. The question this morning simply is this, and please never lose this, are you willing? Are you willing to make yourself available to give God your time and your availability? That's all God's looking for, is that you would be available to him. He will do the rest by his power. And look, the Lord mainly used as a qualifier, one thing we see here in verse 12, as the qualifying thing to put Paul into service, it's right there in verse 12, he says, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That word that's used there, faithful, speaks of being reliable, dependable. We might say trustworthy or committed. In other words, the Lord evaluated and judged Paul's life 
And the one criteria that the Lord Jesus used to determine to work through Paul's life was this characteristic, dependability. That was the only thing it seems that really mattered to Jesus, is that he looked at Paul's life and Paul's character and he said, you know what? He'll be reliable. He'll be dependable. He'll show up when he's supposed to show up. He'll do what he says he's going to do. He'll follow through when he begins to do something. He'll stay on track. He'll be committed to what I ask or to what I assign. He won't change spiritual occupations 17 times. I'm bored of this. Let me try that. I'm just, oh, there's a better opportunity. He'll just, long obedience, same direction, and he'll be reliable. And somehow Jesus saw that in Paul, and that was the foremost concern of the Lord looking for a faithful, reliable person. And let me just say this morning, I tell you folks, that is, that in and of itself is the most important thing for your spiritual resume if you want to do the work of the Lord. Because that's the one thing that all of us have control over. We don't have equal control over skill, right? There are people I know, they got more skill, not just in their pinky, in their pinky fingernail than I do in my whole body. We don't all have equal skill, equal experience. But what we all have is seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and we all have the conscious, willing capability to decide if we'll be reliable, to determine that we'll be committed, to be someone who says, you know what, I can show up, I can stay at it, I can follow through, I can be reliable and be dependable and be faithful. And isn't it interesting, what does Jesus say to people who, who get some degree of commendation and reward when they get into heaven? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Seems that's the highest commendation. You were faithful to the thing that you were given and assigned to do. And for Paul says, it was not me, but the Lord enabled me. And he says there, verse 12, he put me into the ministry. And that word ministry, don't get in your mind the idea of vocational ministry. I'm not saying that's not, but the term that Paul uses, it's where we get our English word deacon. It's just a term that speaks of service. It speaks of doing practical work. It's a platform to serve. Paul realized the Lord opened the door and gave him the privilege to serve. And this is what he was very blessed by. The Lord selected him, put him into a particular role, into his specific ministry opportunity, and he says, it was the Lord who assigned me to serve where he needed me to do work. It was the Lord who determined, I want you to do this, and this is the role I want you to, and he says, it was the Lord who gave me the opportunity, and he put me into that place of service that he desired for me. And I'll tell you, that is the right design for the kingdom of God. We want the Lord to put people into the ministry, to put Christians into their place of service. And the Bible says that we are all sufficient ministers of the new covenant in the Christian life. And this is the wonderful thing. We are all called in some capacity to be servants of the Lord. First Peter 4 says it this way. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So in all these various forms, God gives different measures of grace to all of us as Christians, and he says we've all received at least a gift, if not more, and he says we're just to be good stewards of that and to exercise those gifts and to let the Lord work through our lives as good stewards where he puts us into ministry and service in different ways. And I'll tell you, Paul's testimony reveals to us, despite anyone's past, it does not matter what your past was, how dark, evil, or wrong, or what you've done, nothing hinders the Lord from being able to recruit someone with a really bad past and to use them in some really wonderful ways. And I'll tell you what, just look through church history. Sometimes those who've had the darkest and worst paths are used in some of the most powerful ways at vessels and conduits of the grace of God to do things in serving Jesus Christ. Paul says, verse 15, going on, and this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul says, trust me, I speak from personal experiences. This is a trustworthy saying. 
And he says, I know it because it's been my own experience. It's a reliable, that's our word, trustworthy there, same as faithful prior verse that we looked at. He says, this is a reliable, dependable saying, something that all people should consider worth considering for their own experience. And what is it, he says, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the reason that Jesus came to earth, to spare and deliver and rescue sinful failures. And the Bible tells us clearly in Romans 3 and other places that there's no difference. We all sin. We're born sinful by nature. We simply prove that as we live out our life and begin to practice sin and thinking something wrong or saying something wrong or doing something wrong, that we're all guilty. We talked about that earlier before God, and our sin separates us from relationship with God now, and if it is not forgiven and dealt with, it will separate us from being with God eternally as we are punished in hell rather than having access to heaven Our sin causes us to be prisoners of Satan and live in self-destructive ways. So therefore, our lives need to be saved from something. They need to be delivered and set free from our conditions spiritually and eternally. And this is why Jesus came into the world as a Savior. That's why they said of Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins, from their sinful condition. That's why Jesus came as he did and accomplish what he did to deliver anyone who recognizes they need to be saved and who humbly admits they want to be saved, to receive that. That's the foremost reason Jesus came, to rescue. Luke 19, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. In Mark 2, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's so important. Paul grasped, and this is why he called it a glorious gospel, that Jesus did not foremost come to this earth to do things to make my earthly life better or to make my earthly life easier. Jesus came to save my sinful soul and ensure that I would have eternal hope when I get off this sinful, sick, struggling, broken planet with struggling people in humanity. That's what Jesus came for. Jesus did not predominantly come for my happiness or for my greater enjoyment or to give me my best life or to cause me somehow to feel like he's my life coach and that that he just wants me to be the best me. No, he wants me to realize you are the worst you And that's why you need me. That's what Jesus came for. That is biblical Christianity, understanding Jesus came to save sinners. Now, does following Jesus result in a much better life? Absolutely. We wouldn't deny that. But he foremost came to spare us from our self-destructive path. That's why Paul, being aware of the depth of his own sinfulness and guilt... He says of Jesus coming to save sinners, look what he says, of whom I am, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. In other words, Paul's saying here, I led the way. I'm the chief of this stuff. Paul says, I see myself as the one who led the way of knowing what it means to be a sinner and a failure. He says, I think I got more experience than the whole rest of the tribe of sinners on the earth. I'm the chief. I'm more utterly sinful than anybody. One translation says, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now look, Paul's not here acknowledging in some way that though he's now a Christian, he's not confessing, oh, but I'm still living hypocritically. I'm still the chief of sinners. I'm abusing the grace of God. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's expressing his awareness of the depth of his sinfulness. And how he came to greater and greater awareness that the longer he walked with the Lord and the closer he became to Jesus and the more he walked in the light, the more he saw every crack and dirty spot and wrinkle in his life to a degree. And it made him sense and realize how utterly sinful he really was. And when you track Paul's writings through the New Testament, you see a progression of statements in his letters to this very reality in the mid-50 ADs in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. So in the mid-50s as a Christian, Paul said, you know what? Of all the apostles, man, I'm the worst apostle of all. 
I mean, I just got in to being an apostle. I mean, I'm the least of all the apostles. I don't even deserve to be an apostle. I'm so thankful, but I don't even deserve it. Then about 10 years later, in 60 AD, in Ephesians 3, Paul said, I'm the least of all the saints. In other words, I'm the lowest Christian on the whole planet. And then now what does Paul say here around 64 AD, about another five years later at the end of his life? I'm just the worst sinner on the planet. <laughs> I am the biggest worst sinner on all the earth. As Paul became more aware of his own depravity in the depths of his sinfulness, it developed more humility in his life. And it developed a greater appreciation for the salvation of Jesus because Paul realized more and more how really deep that salvation went. And Paul realized, man, when I first got saved, I thought, whoa, he'll go into a pit for somebody. And Paul says, the longer I've walked with him, the more I realize, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I was that far in the pit. I didn't realize I was that messed up. And he just had this grandiose awareness to a greater degree, man, salvation, it really goes deep because I'm a lot worse than I thought I was. And Paul just had this greater appreciation as he recognized the wonderful salvation of Jesus. Look what Paul says, verse 16, for, however, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ, look what he says, might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So notice what Paul's doing here. Despite realizing the depths of his own sinful depravity and the pit that Jesus came and rescued him out of, Paul realized his own salvation. He says here in verse 16, it was somewhat strategic. He says, man, God is really wise. He strategically saved me to be a display board to others of what could be done for them. And Paul recognized, look what he says. He says, verse 16, the reason I obtained mercy was that in me, Jesus could show, he says, a pattern of his long suffering. Paul realized the Lord was using his life like a trophy of grace sitting there on the shelf in the world. So that if people looked at the life of Saul of Tarsus with his story and his background and who he was, and the fact that Jesus broke into his life and transformed him and forgave him, and more than that, then started using him for the kingdom of God, that as they looked at that example and how long-suffering and patient God had really been towards him, Paul says, man, oh man, that I realized that must give a lot of hope to other people who can look at me and as they look at me say, wow, if Jesus could do that for Saul of Tarsus, maybe he would be kind to me. Maybe he would accept me in my shipwrecked life or in all of my failures and shortcomings. Maybe I can turn to him. Maybe there is hope for me too. And Paul realized it was like a strategic move to save him for really good advertising, to advertise to the whole world that anybody is within the reach of salvation. And he knew Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever and still wants to save because Paul says it right there in verse 16. He says that he might show long-suffering through my example as a pattern to those, look what he says, who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul's emphasizing there in a spirit of faith and expectancy, I believe there are still people that Jesus is going to bring to salvation for everlasting life. And I love Paul's heart here, is Paul here sees this as a servant of the Lord because of what Jesus did for him. He never lost a sense of expectancy. There are other people, I know it, who are going to believe on him too for eternal life. Because if he cared about reaching me, he's got to care about reaching other people too. And so in this attitude of faith and expectancy, he believed and no doubt prayed and shared openly that the Lord would do the same in other people's lives as well. And I'll tell you something this morning, folks. God, help us never to lose that sense of expectancy. There are others who are still going to believe and get saved and experience eternal life. And it may just be, in fact, let me change that. It is true that part of the reason Jesus saved you, however you came into the kingdom of God, is because there are people connected to you 
who will look at your life and receive from your life, and that will be what gives them the hope and the consideration to believe upon Jesus themselves. You know, as Paul is sharing these things, it's almost as if his mind is stirred and, and this spontaneous praise just erupts from him. He kind of concludes with this doxology. He says, now to the king. And what's a king? Someone who rules over all, someone who you pay homage to, someone to your loyal to. To the king, eternal. That is the one who rules over everything in the eternal dimension. The one who controls our eternal destiny. Immortal, which means one who never dies. They remain the same forever. He's the everlasting king. He's been working for all human history, doing the same thing. To the king, eternal, immortal. He calls him invisible. That is God, the invisible God, working behind the scenes, pulling strings, doing things in unseen ways to the human eye, but yet his work is so evident as we see it happening. And he's working behind the scenes and connecting this and coordinating that person in this relationship. He says, to God who alone is wise. The idea is in comparison to our human foolishness. And boy, how you see that more and more that we serve a king who works in really wise ways. Right? I don't know about you, but down to time, I, I step back and, and I realize, and you know, just about a week ago, I had the privilege to be able to lead someone to the Lord who lives out of the area over the phone. And, and as, as I stepped back from that, I realized, wow, Lord, you are so wise. You coordinated this and this and this and this and this and this so that this phone call would be happening right now so that another human soul would discover and experience the salvation of Jesus. Man, you, you're really wise, Lord, the way you do things. And this is why Paul says, to him be glory forever and ever. In other words, as our hearts consider what God's done for us and the salvation he's brought to us and the life change he's brought to us, that should be the very thing alone that causes us to comp contemplate the greatness of God. That's what Paul's doing. And Paul says, how can I not worship? And notice, Paul's prompting to worship, it was not based on how his earthly experiences were going. Because Life on earth can stink sometimes. And with sin's effects, really hard and miserable, unpleasant things can happen. But when you step back and you picture the eternal scope and you realize that it's well with my soul, and one day, Lord, for all of eternity, it's all going to be okay, that's what prompts your heart to worship. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray.